The following sermon was delivered on June 27, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Pastoral intern Johann Shea delivered this sermon entitled Faith in Times of Storm on Mark 4, 35 through 41. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Children, whenever you got into trouble or you have problems in your life, who do you first call to? What is the first thing that you would do? The first natural thing that you would do is call your parents because you recognize that you're unable to solve your problems, your issues that you have at hand. You believe that your parent is able to solve your problems. Whenever you have a problem with uh, a toy, you would ask mommy, mommy or daddy to help you solve that issue because you know that they can address it for you. The Bible, the scripture addresses also various issues for us and particularly our greatest problem in this life, which is sin. And the book is titled, The Gospel According to Mark. Mark wants to present to us a gospel message which solves these issues, which solves troubles of our life. It is evangelistic in its nature. It wants us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, Mark does this and by demonstrating to us how Jesus showed his service, his act of service was beyond measure. His preaching ministry was incomparable to others. His healing ability is not same to those who are uh, false teachers or false prophets. And thus, by showing this, these things in the first two chapters, three chapters, he, Mark gives us the idea why we should believe in this person, in this uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, why we should put and place our faith in him. He also has demonstrated the authority of Christ by his teaching in chapter three and his healing powers and also the exorcism that he has done and also his ability to forgive sins. He, Mark by this point has showed that Jesus is a matchless teacher. So now in chapter four, in the last section of, our, of this, of this uh, book, of this chapter, Mark wants us to wants to bring this idea of who Jesus is one step further. He wants to show that Jesus is the mighty miracle worker. And in the chapter four, in the last section of chapter four, in the whole of chapter five, Mark will show us the four great miracles the Lord intends to perform and show that who He is and why we should place our faith in Him. That. First, he shows this in our text today, his authority over the forces of nature in verses 35 to 41. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, he shows that Jesus has power or authority over massive demon, demonic oppression. And then the next, verses 21 to 24, the, his power over death. And then, he, and then 20, verse 25 to 34, his power over chronic diseases. So Mark's message is clear for us that he, and that he, and he wants to show us this afternoon, this evening is this. For in our, from our text, Mark wants us to understand that the Christian's faith rests on the great work of the Savior, especially in times of trouble. Mark wants us to realize and listen 
and understand from this section of our text this evening that the Christian's faith, your faith, rests on the great work of the Savior, especially in times of trouble. And we will unpack this message of Mark under three main headings. First, from verses 35 to 38, the great trouble. From verses 35 to 38, we see the great trouble. And then in verse 39, the great work, the great work in verse 39. And the great Savior from verses 40 and 41. The great Savior from verses 40 to 41. Mark chapter 4 began with kingdom parables. Jesus was talking about the parables, was teaching the people about the parables. He explained some of these parables to the disciples. And now Mark, after showing or after displaying the work of Christ in the discussion, in, as, as he taught about the parables, he now wants to show that Jesus has power over and against hostile forces. Uh, let's just look at our text, verse 35. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the other side. We notice on that same day, after Jesus taught the parable in chapter 4, on that same day, they are moving now to the next scene. Mark is showing that this is a new section that he wants us to notice and, take, and to observe. Mark now shows that it is now evening. So Jesus was teaching the whole day by this time. He was, it was a long day of ministry, and it was definitely tiring. Just preaching for an hour, or 30 minutes actually, would be already tiring. But what more you're teaching for the whole day, and probably you only have lunch break. It would be more tiring. But we notice in from verse 35 that, the, that on that same day, he told the disciples to go with him, and the disciples followed him. They relied, they confided on Jesus. They relied on Jesus' command. Where to go next? On Jesus' direction, where, where and when they should be going. This, in verse 35, it shows for us that all of the Christian life, all of your life, should not be compartmentalized. We should not be Christian only for on the Lord's Day or on, inside the church during uh, Sundays or even prayer meetings. But we should be Christians all the days of our life. Every hour, every moment, every minute, we should not have only certain aspects of life dedicated to God, but all of our life should be for Him. Because He has called us to be 24-7 followers and disciples. We should not just be disciples only on certain time. So now moving to verse 36, Mark tells us, And leaving the multitude, they took him, they took Jesus along with them, and just as he was in the boat, and the other boats was with him. So they immediately obeyed the Lord's command in verse 30, from verse 35. When the Lord said, Let us go, they said, Let's go. They immediately followed. They immediately complied. They immediately obliged themselves to follow. One commentator even commented, noted that, they did not prepare anymore. Remember, they, they, are, they were teaching, the, they were out the whole day. They probably were already ran out of food. They didn't even tell the master, Master, let's wait, let's get some food first, let's get some supplies. But they, when Jesus told them, let's go, they said, let's go, let's go. And they went. And this showed that there is an imminent danger that's coming upon them because they did not prepare. But they should not fear because this is a great text that Jesus unpacks, or that Jesus is about to perform great act about from this danger for them to see who Jesus is. And probably because they are still in their high point from the teaching ministry of Jesus, they just realized and heard the good news. They still relied on him. 
And it shows for us that even though we have heard the great news, especially from the Lord's day, we should still rely and trust Jesus all the time, even though it's good, including good and bad times. And now, let, moving to verse 37, he says, there, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now, Mark, among the gospel writers, was the most detailed in this account of the calming of the storm or the stilling of the sea. Mark is showing that in all occasion, you, that, that clearly, actually, that, that the geography of this place is susceptible to strong forces of nature. Mark is showing that this is not, a, this is not just a small storm that Jesus come. Some people who are critical about the miracle accounts of Scripture would say, oh, that was just a, stor a so strong, small storm that just evaporated or just gone afterwards. No, Mark is telling us this is really a fierce gale of wind. There was a really a fierce gale. There was a strong gale of wind. And waves were really torning, tearing apart the boat uh, from, side, from its side. What does this show us? It is similar to actually a hurricane or tsunami that strikes, strikes a country or a place. So it was really, it's not something small that is happening here. There's, the trouble is really big. There's really trouble upon them because the boat, when it breaks, they will sink in the sea. Thus, and Mark continues this clear picture, uh, drawing clear, a clear picture for us in verse 38. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Mark here is now drawing the contrast that in times of trouble, in times of great trouble, Jesus' response should be noticed compared and compared and contrasted with the disciples' response. Jesus was himself sleeping on the cushion. He was resting on God. He knows that even on storms of life, even though there's trouble that is in, the, in their midst, that he is resting on the Father, that the, he can trust the Father for his life, for their life, including the disciples' life. Notice they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus didn't even think about that the Father didn't think about that the Father not, does not care that they are perishing. It shows us that we must trust and rely on God on good and bad, bad times. And verse 38 also helps us realize, how do we call on God on good times? How do we call God on bad, bad situations, on troubled, situa troubled situations? Remember, these are expert sailors. These disciples, they are fishermen at least half of them, or at least one-fourth of them, they know when it is really dangerous to travel on the sea, when it's really danger that's upon them. And they relied on their abilities, on their strength. So when troubles and tribulations come, do you rely on your abilities, on your strength, on your knowledge, that I know what's going to happen, and I know what's going to happen next, and I think I can fix this trouble, I can fix this issue. Mark also shows for us from his detail, how he detailed all these things is that even though how carefully we plan our lives, it is still the Lord's plan that prevails. And during these good times of planning, it is still God 
showing his own providence and care for us, how he loves us. Because when, he, when trouble comes, this is at a time when we can show how we can call upon him and how we could reflect our trust in him during times of trouble. So from verses 35 to 38, we saw the great trouble that came upon them, the disciples, including the Lord. Now we will see the great work in verse 39. Now it is, now Mark introduces the Savior now as the object of their faith, which is the evangelistic purpose of this book. He now said, now Jesus works now. He, he, he aroused from his slumber and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. Now just a quick word from this text. Some people would say, or some religious group, and some people would not believe and deny that Jesus is truly man. They would say, oh, the, the disciples were just imagining of a person named Jesus. He's not a real person. He was just a spirit. He was just a force. Well, Mark showed for us that Jesus was sleeping. He was in the stern, asleep on his cushion, and they woke him up. And Jesus aroused from his sleep. He stood up. Would the spirit be able to show that he rose from his sleep or from his slumber? No. Only a true human being can show us that he woke up. And it should be a comfort for us that our Savior, our mediator, is truly a man. Because by being a man, the Lord Jesus Christ can advance our nature, our fallen state, our awareness from original righteousness, our being away from God. And he can, and through his being a human, fully human in nature, we can receive adoption as sons and daughters of God, and we have the comfort and access with boldness and through the throne of grace. That is why we can come in worship, because he is our mediator. Our mediator is man. He's not, a, he's not just one natured being. And he's also not a being, because he is God. And him being God should humble us, because even the divine Son of God, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself to show and manifest and work great things in this life. And we also see that Jesus is not only truly human, he's also truly divine in his work. And we see that in verse 39 in the second section, he rebuked this, or the first section, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. Literally, he said, peace. Because remember the sea, the wind were raging and trying to sink the boat. And now Jesus tells him, hush, be still. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, stop, be, be, be muzzled, stop there. If Jesus was just merely a man, would he be able to say that to nature with all confidence? He rebuked, rebuked the wind and then told the sea, be muzzled, stop there. No, because he is God. At his majestic command, order was restored. We see that, and, it and the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. If he was not divine, if was, Jesus was just merely man, then the wind wouldn't die down, the sea wouldn't be calm. But because he is divine, he restored order. Because he is the Lord of nature. He is the creator and the master of these things. Jesus was not just a good teacher, but he is the teacher. Some people also deny the deity of Christ. They said he's just a being created little higher than man. No, he indeed is God. Because we see this, how he addressed them. He addressed them separately. Notice 
how in verse 37 tells us there was a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking the boat. And he rebuked them in verse 39 individually. He told the wind, he rebuked the wind and then told the sea, hush, be still. He knows his creation. He knows you. He knows me. And how, how did this wind and the sea responded? They submitted to God. They stopped. When Jesus told them stop, they stopped. Because they recognized that he's Lord. So are you, Christian, even you children, as young as you are, do you recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord? Do you follow? Do you submit to his will? It is good news for us that Jesus is both God and man because he alone can reconcile us to God. That his work, we are assured that in his work, we are assured that it is accepted by God. That is why we can trust in this person because we see his great work. And we see the authority of Christ being in effect because nature obeyed. They know their master's voice, the creator's voice. When Jesus told them to stop, they stopped. It's similar, it is normal, it is natural for servants or created being, created creatures to obey their master, to obey their Lord. And we, as we have uh, earlier have confessed uh, this morning, our sins, we have failed God. And we being redeemed by God, we owe our lives, or we owe our allegiance to him. We must know who the master is, that we are not the master of our own lives. We are not the captain of our soul, but the Lord alone is, and he owns us. He is our master. He is our creator. And the same word when the Lord used for hush and be still is the same word for what he used for demonic possession. And he told the demons, get out of the man. Stop tormenting the person that you are in. And this goes to show that there are really threats. And there, there are forces who are threats that are against the work of Christ, against the work of God, against the cause of God. There are people who are not, and then forces as well, that will not just allow the kingdom of God to propagate in this world. And Mark, by showing that he used the same word, is saying they are all subdued. These opposing forces are all subdued under the authority of Christ, under the authority of the Son of God. Because they recognize, even these opposing forces, these threats, they recognize the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 89, you see there, O Jehovah, God of hosts, Lord Yahweh Tzavaot, who is like you, the mighty Lord, O mighty Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you. you. You rule over the swelling sea, and when the waves arise, you still them. Psalm 89 echoes, the message of Psalm 89 is seen, manifested here in Mark 4, because God himself, or Jesus himself, God himself, ruled the swelling sea, and he stilled them. So Psalm 107, he causes the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea be hushed. Same idea of the psalmist. The psalmist recognizes that creation recognizes, realize who the master is, and they obey the master. And also last thing for us to notice in verse 39, the wind died down and became perfectly calm. The wind and the wave synced. 
When the Lord Jesus rebu rebuked them and said, Hush, be still, they were in sync. They stopped at the same time. It is not as if one continued and one just obeyed. What does this tell us? Are you in sync with God? When God tells you to do something from his, from his word, do we immediately obey? Because this reflects how we recognize or how we value his authority, how we look at his authority. Do we really realize who Jesus is? Does his authority permeate or show is manifested in areas, in all areas of our lives? So in verse 39, we see the great work addressing the great trouble from verses 35 to 30, from verses 35 to 38. Now we are going to see the great Savior from verses 40 and 41. Verse 40, and he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus asked them, you have seen my work from the earlier part of this ministry. You have heard my teaching. I even taught you the secrets of this parable, the interpretation of these parables. Why have you no faith? Why don't you have faith in me? How cowardly did you act in this situation? Mark wants us to realize from the Lord's work, words that we must trust God's abilities, even we are the recipients of faith. Even though we have heard the secrets of the gospel, how to be saved, we still need to place our faith on him. And in our faith, it should be manifested in our lives. It's, it should not be just head knowledge. Faith is more than just an intellectual assent. It's more than just knowing, but also being. Placing trust in God is first step, but showing that you truly trust God, especially in times of trouble, is something different. Even at the point of death, because remember, they asked Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing, that we're about to die, actually? This is their question. Jesus is telling them, you have to have no fear, even at the point of death. What does the Heidelberg Catechism teach us? Our only comfort in life and in death is, not, is that we are not of our own, that our body and soul belongs to our faithful Savior. This is currently a problem, or this always has been a problem for human beings. We think that we have control over death, over our lives. And God is saying, it is only through my power, through my might, through my will, through my decree, that you are existing. And, you may, and through this, we must humbly examine ourselves. We must think, am I fearful? And are these fears manifested in my life, showing that I don't trust my Savior? Are these fears overcoming me, overcoming my person, my family, my spiritual walk with God, because I don't know what to do next? Or do you show and manifest your faith, calling upon the Savior, realizing that all these are his providence and his decree? During this uh, pandemic season, as we have not realized, noted in the discussion, and during the fellowship time has been very divisive. Many people say, don't meet in church. You don't have to meet because COVID is going to kill all of us. They even persecute Christians would say, you are meeting in the church. You're going to spread the virus quickly and everyone's going to die. 
Well, the problem of the virus is not something new under the sun. 1579, the Black Plague, which plagued Europe. It's the same thing. Theodore Beza wrote even a treatise addressing the same issues that we are currently, uh, that is currently upon us in, in this pandemic age. Beza also addressed the death issue that is upon them, the Black Plague that's killing thousands of people in Geneva. So even in death, we must show that we have a childlike trust in the Lord. Remember, children, you trust your parents in all aspects. You know that they are going to provide for you. Do you worry the next, if you're going to have dinner tonight or tomorrow morning, you're going to have breakfast? You don't. You trust your parents that they're going to provide you. You're sure you have, you have a food, you have a shelter, that you have a house to live tomorrow morning? You sure bet, because your parents will provide for you, and this is how God cares for his children. Isaiah 43, 2, it, God tells us, God himself tells Isaiah, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. When through rivers, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through fire, you'll not be scorched, nor will, you, nor will flame burn you. God, God's providence should be a comfort to us. And notice at verse 41, uh, this great savior, who is this? The famous question. And they became very afraid and said to one another, who then is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Literally, the text tells us they feared a great fear. That's how the Greek renders it. They became very much afraid. That's the, the, the interpretation of the text. They had a great fear. Same with the, with the sailors in the time of Jonah. People, they feared because the, bro the, break, the boat was breaking apart. It's more than just Titanic, the scene of Titanic. It's really literally breaking apart each, in each piece because they are made by wood, remember. These are wood and they are coming apart. They're being t torn apart so they can see it from their eyes. Mark wants to show that the emphasis of what is, how they responded, that they really responded, the disciples responded without faith. And this is something for us to think about as Christians. Do we fear with a great fear? Are we like a child going to a swimming who has a life vest on and a lifesaver and a lifeguard nearby, but still refuse to go into the water even though his dad or his mom is there, even though he has all the safety precautions? Are we like this child or would we go into the waters, into the swimming pool? And in this life, how would we strive to be Christians? Would we show our faith? Would we continue to be Christians, especially in times of opposition? There will be people will be opposing you, especially you, young children in schools, when you go to college. People are going to ask you, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? He's not real. He's not true. Well, you have to believe in him regardless of the situation, regardless when people are opposing you. Because Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, himself personally will be with us. And he will be with us until we meet him or he calls us home. He dwells among us even as we meet in worship. That is why earlier in our service, uh, Dr. Pipe asked us, what is your commitment congregation? Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our confidence is in him. Because without him, 
without Him dwelling with us, without Him being with us, we don't have a great Savior. There's no one to represent us. There's no one who's going to be on the heavenly throne interceding for us. So there's a real promise in times of opposition that God is with us, that we should not be afraid. We should not fear with a great fear. But when things go wrong in our life, be it marriages, be it in your studies, be it in your work, where is God? Some people would ask that question. Innocently, it's good because you're reflecting. It seems God is away. But if you realize and recognize that the Spirit is with you on that moment of your suffering, of your trials and tribulation, you will, be, you will have great comfort. And you will see that God is preparing this for your good. Fearing and revering God is needed for the Christian because this leads us to place our trust in Him. What is your relationship with Him? What is your relationship with Christ? Do you have faith in Him? Do you trust Him for all things in your life? Because this will determine the life that is to come. This life, brothers and sisters, remember, is temporary, temporal. It's going to be gone really pretty soon. Do you fear God more than you fear man? Remember in our earlier opening illustration, we said, who do we call first during times of trouble? When you have a medical emergency, you would call 911. They would respond to your medical needs. For children, if you have troubles, if you have problems, you call your parents because they're the ones who can you think you can, they can help you, and they can help you. So Mark, by showing these great miracles, the first of the four great miracles, he is emphasizing that in this first section, in this first of the first one of the four parable uh, miracles, that, the, that there are great troubles, and through these great troubles, the Lord, the great Savior, works greatly. Who is He? Do you know this Jesus? Do you truly know and believe in this Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him, in his authority, in your life, in your work, in your marriages, in your study, in your relationship with your parents as well for young kids? Storms usually come when things are smooth sailing, when you least expected, expect it. There might be some indicators, but usually trials, tribulations just come. Remember Job. Overnight, everything was just fine. The next day, everything is lost. How does he show his faith on the Lord, on his great Savior? How does he show that he knows his Savior? How does he respond? How does he show that he confesses that truly he believes in God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God? Brothers and sisters, may your faith not waver in fear. And during storms, of life, when storms come and troubles come, where do you turn to? May I encourage you to respond in faith. When you're troubled, don't be anxious. For if you truly know who Jesus is, your faith, your trust, and your obedience will be in him. In all your aspects, whether good or bad, big or small, small traffic jams, Atlanta traffic, or lines in fast food. You will live lives knowing that you are in the presence of God, that you are living lives that you have under, that you are under the authority of God, that you are living life 
that is for the glory of God. Look at storms as God transforming power at work in you, that he is working good for the best interest of you. And don't look at storms and fear and say, God, do you care? Does Jesus even care? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.